Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of Dano Says So, brought to you by Trust Records and part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Tonight's guest, while he hails from Los Angeles, originally came to us by way of the DC hardcore scene. DC, known to a lot of people as the birthplace of straight edge or as the home of minor threat of the bad brains, is to me more of a color outside the lines type scene and has always been an inspiration, um, particularly post, say, 1986 or so. It was deeply explorational, very, very focused on breaking molds. Jason Farrell, as a guitar player, as a graphic artist, as an occasional vocalist, has a strident style, has a pronounced style, has a style that's very much his own in Swizz, in Redisonic, in Blue Tip. These things were on display. He was kind enough to let me pick his brain about all things creative and eventually about his own morality and how it applies to what he does for a living now. It was a conversation I waited too long to have, but I'm glad that I did it. Jason was open. Jason was honest. Jason was fascinating, but I'll let you find out for yourself. Let's go ahead and take a listen. Jason Farrell, thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Am I correct? You have a degree in advertising design from the University of Maryland? Damn, man. Yeah. <laughs> Did research. Yeah, I, I, uh, I do. That's, that's, it's fun. It's, it's funny that like, you know, I, I went to the University of Maryland because it was literally close to shit and my band was in DC. So I, you know, I was like, there's an easy place to go. I don't have to quit the band and, and sort of spent, you know, a few years there and the band broke up. And then I was like, wait, what am I doing? I got to graduate. So then I was like, I'll do this. So I did graphic design or they had advertising design because that's the closest thing to what I was doing, which was laying out record covers. Right. Well, so, so I look, I remember when my, my friend Gavin and I, who was sort of my musical partner in crime on the West coast, I remember when the first Swiss stuff came out, we were really struck by it's so it's very fearless in terms of being very high contrast. I'm remembering just orange and black with no, uh, you know, no, no gradients, no anything like that. Uh, yeah. Logos, logos with big, thick um, line values and everything else. To me, yeah. that smacks of the same thing that would probably draw somebody to advertising design because it's visually digestible. It's, it's, it's impactful. Is there any, is there any synergy there or is that coincidence? There may be, but, but I think that for me, it more came from like, you know, faith subject change or like, uh, or, or TSOL's first record, you know, it's just this, this aesthetic, mm -hmm. you know, this like high contrast because you can Xerox it because you can like make a poster, you can do whatever, like you don't have to be, you don't know how to have to, you don't know, have to know how to make a halftone. You can just bleh, you know, and, Absolutely. and so the, 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 the ease and the, the, the crudeness of it because of just technical not know-how uh, mm -hmm. became the aesthetic. And, and then, you know, I come along years later and I'm like, I like that look, you know, and it's an easy look to achieve. So it's like, you know, it's just, I mean, look at your fucking thing behind you, man. It's the same oh, no. thing. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of biting that style lifelong sure. as is, as is, as is my friend Gavin. It's a powerful, it's a, it's a, it's a very simple, powerful, almost political feeling uh, approach. And it's, it's, it's immediate and it's, there's no, there's no, it's binary. You're, you're either, you're in or you're out is, is, well, and it's literally the same, but the color you're either, it's black or white. And, and that's well, what's nice about it. What was interesting to me about the really, the really specific release I'm thinking about is at a time when it could be argued that the vibe in DC was trending towards gray and tending towards softer tones musically and graphically. I mean, you even included a comic book. Um, yeah, there yeah. was, there was, 
I wouldn't say a middle finger to it because you're very clearly part of DC family and very clearly have an affection for your hometown. But to me, there was also sort of a flag being planted. Yeah. Well, I think that, I think that, um, and, and we, we were, you know, treated as such. <laughs> so, yeah. so we, like we did, um, you know, I, I would say that having come up in DC, having like, you know, basically joined the scene at a time with you, know, like, I was one of the reasons that, you know, I was a little kid who was like learning how to stage dive, you know, mm-hmm. and like, and, and, and I was part of the swelling mass that was making things worse. And so, you know, saw like, you know, new bands like Embrace and Rites of Spring come up and then see the difference. Like, oh, here's what we were doing. Here's what they're doing. Oh, I like this, you know? And so we kind of went in that direction, which was, you know, a little more thoughtful, a little less like skinheady and, and a little, you know, a little more uh, trying different sonic shit and, and visual shit. And then, um, so, you know, fast forward two more years, I knew very well the music we were playing was backwards. You know what I mean? In the trajectory of, of what was going on, but I liked it. You know what I mean? So it's like this, it's this thing where like, like we knew, you know, even, even Dag Nasty was too late, you know, like mm-hmm. in 85, then playing this like minor threat rehash. And I'm not saying that's what it was, but that was the perception. Um, it's, it's like, a that was already too late. And then we come on two years later, kind of doing a Dag Nasty rehash or whatever the hell people thought we were doing. It just didn't, people didn't, people weren't really looking forward in DC weren't necessarily aching for another throwback hardcore right. band which is kind of how we started and and certainly unabashedly but still well, knowing that well that was the thing but so there was no anger or resistance behind it it was just instinctual it's just what we liked i think that i mean i fucking love rights of spring and i love mm-hmm. you know embrace and that was at the time the new stuff you know mm-hmm. but you know fast forward another year or two and and maybe, you know, maybe one last wish isn't necessarily, you know, I love it now, but that's not necessarily what I would want to do. And, and certainly not like, you know, Fidelity Jones is, is not something that, that I wanted to do, but that's kind of where people were going. They're trying to find new things away, running away from what was the center, right? Uh, right. Or the original explosion point or whatever. And we were kind of running back towards it. Like, I fucking, there's still something in here. Let's keep digging. I Not to get mired down and analyzing one record or, or two records, uh, too deeply because they're a pretty deep discography, but I, I'm, I'm sort of of the opinion you're, you're selling your creativity a little bit short. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. And I mean it in a positive sense, but for instance, Dag Nasty can, I say is this amazing record, right? Yeah, for sure. But Brian's work does sound like the natural sequel to out of step. Oh yeah. Songs like I'm not saying, I, I love that. I, I love Dag Nasty. And I love that. I'm just saying that there was this perception in DC that what Brian was doing, because he just come off the 400, right. he hadn't come off. Right. Threat. He came off the 400, which was like this people thought was an attempt to sell out new two style or whatever the hell they were doing. Right. right. And then to go back to what should have been the natural step and which is a beautiful, like, I mean, the song, can I say is literally might be better than any, than any the threat. whole, the whole record's a high watermark in the genre. Sure. What I, what I was getting to, as far as saying to you though, is, when I was saying you might be short selling yourself is that I found Swizz considerably more jagged and non-conventional than Dagnasty. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. no, I didn't find it. Yeah. I didn't find it to have such obvious historical touch points. Yeah, no, I think we, we, we pulled from a lot. We pulled from a lot of stuff. Like we, you know, we, we, we rip off Aerosmith, we rip off ACDC, we rip off anybody, but it, but and, and in, in those ripoffs that were kind of juxt or, or loving rockets or, 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 you know, the cult or whatever, and then throw it on top of discharge void and, and minor threat and the faith and whatever else. And, and 
eventually that's sort of like where we started, but then you get it wrong, you know, and, and you end up thinking you're doing this, but you're doing something else. And that's good because what that something else is you. And so like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not trying to sell it short. I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm talking more about the perception of how okay. we, felt we were being received, you know, Fair like enough. We, we felt we were, we were told we were a throwback. <laughs> so, so we, uh, so we, you know, Sound corny. Back more jagged. Haters gonna hate, you know. (laughs) Um, Blue Tip was to me more obviously identifiable as a Washington D.C. band. Um, I don't know if you would agree with that. To my outside, you know, sensibilities, it 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 went more to like a post eighty six, post revolution summer vibe. I mean, all of this is well post eighty six, but what I'm talking about is sort sort of in terms of musical evolution. Like I've I've heard comparisons to soul side and to fugazi which i don't really think stick but i would say that there's a type of music that maybe doesn't happen without the others yeah, yeah. well definitely there's there's a definite thread from soul side to fugazi because of how influential scott mcleod was to ian mckay's guitar playing like it's, yeah. it's that's like a he said as much <laughs> that's know? some that's something i did not know and that's interesting because i i gravitate big time to girls against boys and to a lot of scott stuff yeah, but that's and that that early, you know, certainly starting with like bass and 103, that seven inch. Well, definitely, well, with uh with trigger for sure. And but that that made one of somewhere in that era is when they 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 started really, you know, I mean, like because at the same time you had like happy go licky going on, and you had you know these bands that were that band in particular, which was just like out there in like a really good way, like really. Right. To, to, to the earnestness of minor, uh, no, excuse me, the earnestness of Rites of Spring uh, is one thing. And then you've got mm-hmm. this completely different, same group of people, mm-hmm. two, a year and a half later, doing like this very forward thinking, very deconstruct, whatever the hell they were doing, you know, and, and it's, <laughs> it was really exciting and like, like, what? You know, Agreed. And, Agreed. And coming off of like, also, you know, at that same time, like Palehead and Egg Hunt and these things where you, you started to see these attempts at leaping forward and and leaps forward you know certainly i don't know it's just it's just very is a very it is very cool and exciting to see that shit happening and then also to decide not to go with it okay. <laughs> you know, with, no that makes sense perhaps the flag but, um, right I've, I've sort of painted myself into a corner here that's, that's not necessarily a bad one but to talk about sort of musical self-definition and then artistic self-definition you know blue tip stuff doesn't look like swiss stuff it's much more of a Jetsons meet, meet, you know, read miles, you know, there's a cleanliness to it. Is that an evolution in your tastes or is that technology? I would say it's both. I think it's, yep. it's, um, it's very much like, you know, the, the aesthetics of Swizz was, was, you know, rooted in, in stuff that I liked, but also mm-hmm. in what I was able to pull off and uh, with, with very limited tools. Um, mm-hmm. I had a Xerox machine. I had a little bit of access to some, you know, well, and then I had, access to people that knew how to actually put a record cover together, Cynthia Connell, Jeff Nelson, and their help is like, was huge in, in me getting something that could actually be printed. Right. So that was sort of sure. the first start in that. And then from, you know, when Swizz ended, I just started doing record covers for other people. Like before that, it was just from a band. I didn't fucking care. And then people were like, Hey, why don't you do mine? So, okay. So then that ended up eventually doing one for, you know, one and then a series and up to this day for discord and, and in that time period, learned a little bit more about design, learned a little bit more about art, learned a little bit more about the things that I thought looked cool. And certainly one of them was Blue Note, you know, the, the three miles, absolutely. And, you know, that sort of 
archaic futuristic vibe of the 60s you know well, i've i envy it and i've tried to self-teach it and i'm not getting there so you know oh, that ship sailed man A well lot just for my own play now. just for my own pleasure because anything i can do graphically is self-taught you know and yeah, it, yeah. It, it's yeah. more like the cleaner stuff the stuff that gets further away from the punk rock i grew up on uh, my dna seems to to get clumsy and get in the way when i'm working on that stuff well i i, I was kind of you know having done you know all the sort of like cut and paste and, and xeroxy stuff and, and punky stuff getting a computer certainly made things much cleaner you know and and made you made made things a lot easier to get that that sparseness you know like there was sure. no analog to it and it started to get to the point where it started to feel a little sterile to me like a little like quantized a little mm-hmm. you know so that there was sort of a running back toward something analog and and now i happily sort of feel like i've found a i try to do a balance of both but bluetooth was definitely like me trying to strip it down as far as i could you know to where there was no photos to there was no you know like the second bluetooth record photos were just texture you know it wasn't even it was just a i got a block of green over here let's Uh ghost some shitty picture and and but i just care about the block of green really right he was trying to really do just the most minimal stuff with like metallic inks and whatever. I mean, is the situation with those bands sort of a, Hey, we know Jason's got a gift for this and passion for this. And, you know, you go handle the visuals or is there sort of a, sort of a, a by committee direction? Oh, no, the Bluetooth stuff was, you know, obviously I'd run it by everybody and, and hope to get their enthusiasm and their input, mm-hmm. um, but, but it was all, you know, make some aesthetic you yeah. try to, to make it coherent and, and to make it change and, and track that change. So like, you know, it started off very, like, you know, it started off very sort of 50, 60s, you know, like, like line work. And then like literally the first logo on the first seven inch and then got more into that sort of Jetsons thing. And then it okay. kind of tried to get a little futuristic, and but all still kind of in this, you know, so it, it made sense going from one to the other. It looked like a progression over four years or to me, like, okay, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the cover of this Redisonic LP that to me looks like a guitar ad or looks like sort of like a vintage ad. It, it has, it has a lot of the values that I see in blue tip stuff, but it also to just, for some reason, I get this sort of faux, maybe even sarcastic commercial vibe of it, or maybe <laughs> that's just happenstance, but it's a, it's, it's in a way a next logical step. Yeah. I, there was, there was perhaps that advertising degree sunk in a little more than I thought it did. And, and, and I started pumping out. I mean, that's the, like, that's the, the, I think that to, to say that with, like, I kind of think there's two things going on for me. One is record covers. Mm-hmm. And then two is money that actually, you know, jobs that actually pay me money to live and sure. rent, you know, cause record covers, there was very, there was only a very short time where those were the least bit lucrative and like, and everything else was me working as a temp or me working as a, you know, at an ad agency or me working at a whatever mm-hmm. and, and whatever I was doing in these sort of, like at some point, even like, like working, like doing PowerPoints or something. And I'm just like, oh, sure. maybe we should do it. Let's, let's do this in a PowerPoint. <laughs> like right. just because that's what I was doing. And like, I thought it'd be funny or thought it whatever, but thankfully I never did that. But <laughs> that, that sort of cleanness, uh, right. or corporateness, um, mm. clearly some aspects of it, are kind of nice. And so, and I, and I tried to bring him in. That band musically is my favorite of your post eighties stuff. Redisonic. Yeah. Well, to me, the the songwriting is more identifiably rock and roll influenced the structures. Like I thought you went, I mean, I'm looking for flowery language, but what I would say is, Hey, catchy choruses. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, that was, that was a, there was, that was a a logical choice to like, I think blue tip, 
uh, started to get more complex than it needed to be. Like, you know, certainly by the last record, we were just like, how can we take this good thing and chop it in half? So people think it's weird. You're like, oh shit. <laughs> so we, you know, just made things that were complicated for complicated sake. And, and I think Rotosonic was, and also we were writing to try to fit two guitars in, you know, like we were, you, it was very much like trying to do something with two guitars and Rotosonic's like, let's just have one guitar. If I can play something complex, great, but it's one guitar that sort of immediately, you know, carved out some space for, for hooks to exist. And not I was going to say, does one, does one favor, does one favor your artistic temperament over the other going one guitar or two guitars? Which I mean, do I like which one better? Yeah. Do you find one more liberating than the other creatively or? No, I think it's just who you're playing with. You know, I think yeah. that like, like I'd, I'd love to, and and I maybe we will, you know, someday play with Dave again, just because it's like, you know, it's a different way of, you know, you handle this and they do a harmony or they do a whatever, or they do something that's discordant against it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's different, but I, I, I definitely like Swizz and Red Hair and, and Redisonic just being one guitar, you know, cause there's something classic about, you know, there's a guitarist, there's a bassist, there's a singer, there's a drummer. Personally, I would never have the guts to just be a singer. <laughs> so, so I always had a guitar on whatever. And I would never have the skill set to be anything else. So there's us. <laughs> um, so I got, a, I do have a question for you about red hair that I'm confident you've been asked many, many times. Um, but it still serves my purposes here, which is I'm kind of looking at these totals here. Um, Swizz is uh, two LPs and a few EPs. Uh, same with, it looks like same with red hair and three of the same people. Yeah. Right. Um, no temptation, no inner conflict over whether or not to just call it Swizz. But my thinking is, okay, I was in this, actually my least favorite band is the one people know the best, but it was, it was in the eighties. And besides the guitarist and I, there were nine other members and we never changed the name. Right. You know, you're running on three out of four through, through close to 10 records. Yeah, sure, but this, but Alex Daniels isn't in it, so we can't do it. Uh, I think that the the I think with with you know okay, for instance, Blue Tip never really had any precious attachment to the members. Obviously, we wanted everybody to stay as long mm-hmm. as they wanted to, but if they left, the machine kept moving. So we you know we had fucking six drum. I don't know how many drummers. Uh, okay, and even Dave Stern, the originator, me and him started the band. He left, and we got Brian Clancy, and and it was just this it was just this like belligerent moving forward, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And, and that's fine. You know, that, that's what that was, but Swizz was a little different just because it was like, you know, it was all of our, well, not Sean, he was in Dagnasty, but I mean, like it was, it was kind of our first real, it was all of our bands that actually did something like put out a record, did a tour, you know, mm-hmm. he, Sean didn't even do that with, with Dagnasty till posthumously. And it was just a connection that, uh, was unique to those people. And we sort of ended it like, let's not do this again. This is it. This is done. And, and we kind of half held to that. Uh, or, or when we, when we did get back together, all four of the last members, we did sweet mm-hmm. freak down. And that was, that could have been called Swizz, but we're like, we we're at that point. We're like, no, we broke up. We're now we're this, you know? <laughs> and then further down the line, red hair is, is it's a different band. And so having Joe Gorelick from Redisonic on drums, mm-hmm it's a whole different entity than, than what Sean, than what Alex from Swizz would have brought to it. And Alex wasn't interested in doing it anyway. Everybody sort of barely has enough time to, to do this band and, and certainly not in a way that rivals what Swizz or, or Blue Tip did from a Turing perspective. 
So it's it's just a I never wanted to call it Swiss. We we have played a Swiss song or two, you know. But uh, well, and I don't think there's any obligation to. But to an outsider, somebody who's maybe not privy to that creative chemistry, it might seem like an obvious choice. Yeah. Well, I I think part of it is just not. You know, mm. I say this while still wanting to go backwards. Sometimes part of it is just about not going backwards. You know, and like. Or, or if you do go backwards, it's in the right way. Like, you know, we did, I think Swizz, you know, Swizz did one one-off show in, in 2014, but we wouldn't even call it Swizz then. We were just like, I was literally running around the club. Dante uh, had the black cat and like they put, I said, well, we can't be called Swizz because we're not Swizz because it's like the artist formerly known as Swizz. I don't know, but they literally <laughs> put it on like set times. Like it said Swizz and like ran around with a marker and marked it out, but you can still see it said Swizz. It's just kind of like not wanting to, it's just you know not to say that that like it's just different you know what i mean i mean it's like no, it, it's the, it, it, the difference it, between 18 and and 48 you know it, it's like it's a it's a big difference and i feel like as much as i love hardcore and as much as i like red hair it's different when you sort of get into this nostalgia aspect of it i'm not above nostalgia i would love to see many bands that i either didn't get to see or didn't get to see enough you know and and i and i would love to play you know, I have no problem playing a Swiss song for people or whatever, but, and, and I, and would even consider playing a Swiss show, but, but this is, this is just a, a different thing. You know, it's I would like, say, well, to make it to incredibly oversimplify, it's going to be the artist themselves who knows whether or not it is this article or another. And it's clear that amongst you guys, you know, that it's not Swiss. Right. No, yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah. I had a question for you about the record covers and in particular, the second one, a lot of what I've seen you do seems like assembly and seems like, uh, like we've said, we've talked about technology and everything else. I know there's uh, Kate Samworth illustration involved in, yeah. the second, in the second record. Do you source much material or much imagery from the outside and then build on it? Or do you, or is that a rarity? Yeah. So, so for, you know, when working on other people's record covers, whatever everybody wants to do is what we do, right? Like, so like, you know, I'll do it. I'll, get someone else to take a photo. I'll do, you know, whatever, whatever. If you got a picture, you drew a picture and you want, like I'll assemble whatever anybody wants and I'll be as engaged as they want for stuff that, you know, my personal bands, like bands that I'm in, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I try to do all of it. And, but I think with red hair, you know, it was, it was a chance to definitely with Kate, but also with Adam Jones from tool, he did the drawing on the first cover. Yeah. That's all he did. But you which know, is that, threatening was, in the most bizarre way. I, I have water, watership potential watership down nightmares looking at that first record <laughs> yeah because it's yeah. you know and that's the thing like i would draw you know i don't do that i don't know how to do that and stand mm -hmm. and i don't and then you know we got i think with with red hair where i was trying to take a step back to be more collaborative and, and to be just to do something different you know okay. and, and, and so dave is friends with adam and and adam offered to, you know, like, I want to do your cover. And we're like, oh, fuck, yeah, sure. Well, what's your band called? Red Hair. Okay. And he drew this scary-ass rabbit, and we changed it a little bit and, and, you know, worked with him a little bit. But ultimately, yeah, whatever you want to do. And, and that's what he came up with. And the, the funny, the, the cool little rabbits falling on the back, it was it was all gorgeous. And and then, so for the next one, which was like a seven-inch, um, I was like, let's get Sean to draw this because Sean's a tattoo artist. So Sean did basically like flash work of, mm -hmm. of this concept that we had of, of silverfish and a, and a lungfish mixed together. And then when it came time to do the record you're talking about, we had a very clear, I had come up with this idea of, of like, you know, a rabbit and a snake. And, and we worked with Kate. We wanted her to do the cover, but it was too, I, I was over directing her, you know, and she was just like, I, I don't, 
stop telling me what to draw. You know, I'm like, oh, you're right. Fuck. You know what? Actually, what I would much rather do is just have you draw what you draw. Here's our, here's our realm. Here's what we're thinking. And she came up with this beautiful picture of, of you know, rabbits running in a Western setting. And, and I just, it's her style. It's not me forcing her to draw something I wanted. She's like, you should just draw the cover. I'll do this one. I was like, okay, great. And so then I ended up drawing the cover and she drew the, the back cover. And uh, yeah, I have it on my wall. I, said, I fucking love that drawing. So you, There's a part of me that thinks the ability to step back and just let those waters flow only comes with age. Yeah, for sure. It's liberating. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's something that I learned probably in my mid thirties or forties or forties yeah. or something okay. where like, finally it's just like easy buddy. Like, you know, just, just relax. And, and part of it is working on film. You know, you, you can't do everything. You've got, you've got a role. You're either a director, you're running the camera or you're uh, in front of the camera or you're, you know, it's, there's not, you cannot do everything. And the only way to do something that's bigger, the only way you're going to build the Hoover dam or, or this little fucking video or is, is if, if you get other people involved and everybody's invested just to close out with the, with the Kate thing, it's the other thing is if we've known Kate since high school, like she's, you know, she was, uh, she was the upperclassman who was just like our crush, you know, and, and, and who was the one who was sort of letting us know that, Hey, by the way, I know you guys like void, but you know, rights of spring's pretty good. They're playing. You should come check them out. You know? And that's right. We're like, who's that? You know? And we would go and we'd be like, Oh my God. Like they would totally be the ones who like clued us in. Like we were these cute little, we were the, the little cute skaters who were just like running around with our, like, you know, freshly drawn XXX line lines. And they're, um, and they're, they're like, yes, let, let me, let me indoctrinate you a little more than, than, than what you're, what you're currently looking once you look over here. And that's where we, you know, found out about Rites of Spring. Well, those, that, that last little handful of thoughts, thoughts segues me well into the last uh, piece of graphic nerd inquisition that I'll put you through. <laughs> which is you've done quite a bit of work for Discord, right? And particularly, you know, and, and on some, some re-release stuff, but just in general, quite a bit of work on Discord. Is that more of a pure assignment process or are you allowed some creative exploration or what goes on there? It's really whatever is needed. You know, I think that yeah. uh, there's some people who are very open to, to letting me do whatever I think might work. Um, and then there's people who, know exactly what they want and they just want me to put it together so that it gets printed well. So like, you know, it, it, there's, you know, at the very least I'm technically making sure their vision can be uh, turned into the ones and zeros that will print well, mm -hmm. you know? And then uh, on the other end of it is, is just like, just giving carte blanche to do stuff. And it's, well, it's usually somewhere in between depending on, on what, what they need. And I'm happy to do whatever it is, you know? Well, some of the releases seem, seem essentially archivist in nature. You know, some of these things that they've they've circled back on, you know, really old bands, original, maybe original sure. 10, 15 and Discord bands. Yeah. And you're perfectly situated to recreate that stuff. It's does it take some weight off your shoulders? Because there's kind of there'll be graphics that are in family with the original releases and bands and graphics that won't. Uh you know, I think the we had started a series of things. Um well, I'll talk about two things. One is the box set that's coming out which is okay. reissues of, of six existing, you know, the first six discord records and, and, and that, you know, you need to make it look exactly like what it was or as close as, as possible, given that there's some new bits of information that are coming in or, and, and, and it's this sort of like archivist recreation from 40 year old boards that are missing pieces and, and trying to reconstruct something that is in the same spirit 
but looks better because those look like shit. You know what I mean? And they, I do. And, and only because they didn't, you know, just like when I was starting, I didn't know what a fucking halftone was. They didn't know what a halftone was or how it would affect, you know, there's, there's levels of stripping and, and other things that have to happen to make it look like what you want it to. And, and mistakes along the way end up looking pretty cool, but they don't necessarily look like what you thought, or they look like shit. It's and, fascinating to me. I'm two years older than you, but we are both of the Letraset generation, you know, in a sense, oh, yeah. you know, and to be circling back 40 years later, trying to recreate that vibe is not something I would have ever imagined happening. Oh, it's fun though. It's like, it, you know, it, it's, you realize how, like I realized along the way that, that there's, you know, that I'm drawn to things that have a process, you know, the, like, you know, the, the art aspect of it, I don't give a shit about, like, I don't care, like this is Dadaist or this is like, you know, art deco or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that this was printed, you know, that, that this is going to be manufactured and it's going to be, there's something about the replication of it that, that dictates the look of it, you know? And like, and, and it, um, and I really like the replication aspect of it. Like I like, I, I like offset presses. I like letter press. I like, you know, like I like physically binding a book. Like I like all that extra, the next step. Right. So, so I kind of approach it that way, but, but like with, the, with this box set thing, it was like, it was, it was just fun. Like going back with a, a little more of a, of a knowledge about like the processes that would be needed that would follow to make it look as good as it could I don't, I don't even know. It's, it's sort of like we sort of balanced it out. Like we left it punk. We left it like, but we cleaned it up when it looked like shit, like the youth brigade cover. Like it is just notoriously horrible looking print. Mm-hmm. And and now it's fucking gorgeous. You know, like I, I love it, you know, and, and, and it's, and that's just because we all know what we're doing now and we all know what part of it is important and what part was a mistake and what part was just because you didn't know any better and what part you didn't know any better but it was great and you got to keep it. And so, okay. so that's, that's sort of, that, that's what that box set was. The other thing that we were working on was the, uh, a couple of seven inch re-releases of like SOA, uh, the first demo and the youth brigade first demo, which mm-hmm. is like, Indian we're like working on, you know, he's obviously like, this is what I'm thinking, you know, like, okay, well, great. And then we, and like, we started like, we're working through it collaboratively to, to try to come up with something that like is of the spirit, but is also, interesting for now and exciting for now and that series which is continuing there's more to come is a is a very fun little balance of of making something new that's in a lineage that's from very old in in a with new technologies but with the spirit of old assembly it seems like it would be really fun to work on i watched within the last hour i watched a video you did for one of brian baker's uh new bands and, oh uh, yeah uh, fake names yeah and yeah. i gotta tell you in prepping for this and back when i asked you to do it i didn't really think of you as a short filmmaker or even think of you in terms of film you know i had the stuff that i had an appetite for and the stuff that i had owned how did video happen how big a part of your life is it <laughs> educate me on on jason farrell and video a little bit um, or film a little bit well that since i was a kid you know we had super eight film super eight movies and stuff and we would mm-hmm make little stop animation things and whatever else and, and, uh, or film cliff jumps or, you know, whatever the hell we were doing skating. And, um, but probably around 92 sometime after Swizz, me and some friends just started making movies on 16 millimeter films. And we made one, we, we tried to make two, <laughs> we did one and it was super fun. And, and Cynthia Connolly actually helped us distribute it like on VHS, you know, the very small little this thing called the Taylor kid Cadillac. And, uh, 
that was fun. And then I did another movie in probably like 96, right around the time Blue Tip started, that was a little more involved, but still 16 millimeter. And that, you know, did some, uh, won some uh, underground film festival awards and, and did a little tour of, of that. But then after that, it was just uh, hoping to try to incorporate, Blue Tip was supposed to incorporate a whole bunch of film in it, you know? It was going to be visual, sonic music, and then also film. So it was like okay. the, the art direction and all that stuff. But it's just a pain in the ass. That's that's three things. And I could barely tackle the two. So um, that never happened. And then I just started doing um, music videos for people. And uh, I guess most recently, uh, well, not that recently, did, did a couple things for Off um, and uh, a couple things for the Jonas Brothers of all people, Bonnie Raitt and... Uh, yeah, it's super. I fucking and some commercials. I just I, now currently I you know film interviews and, and make little anthem videos for whatever for work. But mm-hmm. it's all uh, it's really I, I love film. I've always loved I've always loved that that linear aspect of you know storytelling in it, and, and it's it's different than it's different than like a static record cover or a, or a painting or whatever, and different than music. But it's it just it's the two of them together. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's something I very late in life as I've started to self-teach myself premier pro and stuff really want to explore, but I don't think it would ever be on a level that would sustain me. It's just, you know, it would be hobbyist, but uh, oh, yeah, it was exciting. It was exciting to kind of see, do you remember you and I were on a panel together in 2009 at the uh, Ricardo Montalban theater. It had to do with the radio science book, the radio. Science oh yeah, book. yeah. 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 For Anthony you, Papalardo. Yeah. yeah, you made an aside to me that night that stuck with me and that I wanted to bring up uh, tonight. It had to do with some of the people on the uh, panel and their personal histories and the way that they maybe varied from yours and varied from mine. And you leaned in my ear as we were all getting ready to walk on the stage and say, didn't we spend most of our life trying to avoid people like this? What? Now, now, I know who you were referring to, but it's an interesting segue into something, which is we come from punk rock and arguably we come from from you know, not the same place in it, but we've certainly been exposed to a lot of really values-driven and purpose-driven music. And that's certainly not universal in this music at this point or in music in general. But I look at what you're doing for a living or I look at one, one, one thing that I know you're involved in. I'd say, do you still place a high premium on sort of attaching your own moral code or your own, your own social sense of right and wrong to your creativity? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that, that it's, you, you talk about like, man, this brings up a whole bunch of stuff. So just thinking like um, I just was reading this, the Steve Albini thing where he's, you know, currently not apologizing, but sort of like, you know, yeah. A- acknowledging the, uh, the, the, the flaws in his, in what he was doing in the past in terms of like not the flaws, but like, you know, he was coming, he, he was coming from a place of irony. He was coming from a place of, you know, whatever, but ultimately coming from a place of privilege. Right. And that, that like, and also that um, under the assumption that everybody understood that and that everybody that was engaging with you was of your mindset, right? Like we're in right. punk rock. Everybody's cool. Let's just, you know, everything's fine. So I can make these racist jokes, you know, or like, because they know I'm joking. And it's like, and, and, and you start to realize as you get on that one, those jokes aren't funny. And, and two, some of the people around you aren't joking. You know, they're just, they're just happy. They're in an environment where they can express these things pretending it's irony, but it's truly beliefs. You know what I mean? And so, you know, as I get older and this, this is definitely with skating as well. Like, you know, like, like people that, that I, you know, skated with since I was 14, 
You know, like you would assume that that you you've had that you have a, a similar worldview. Like we all came up in punk rock, we all came up in in skating, we came up in these these sort of counterculture-ish kind of things, right? And I remember like, you know, thinking the meat men were funny, and it was at the time. At some point you realize it's just not, and you thought everyone came along with you, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. They're they're fucking like they're talking about how they don't get vaxxed, or they're talking about how Trump was blah blah blah, or whatever. You're like, holy shit, wait, what? There's some things that don't age well, and there's some things that become anthemic in an ugly way for like a whole new yeah. Point. So I found that like you know, when you start to realize that you know, people in your extended family, people from your childhood, that that they are not in your mindset, and and that that's because they're perhaps surrounded by people that are not in your mindset or maybe they grew up in maybe, maybe this part of Pennsylvania has this vibe that is in, I feel has changed this person's mind in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's, there's this sort of need to not be like, Oh yeah, that's my crazy, whatever, my old friend, my old cousin, my old, I don't know. No, you need to start calling them out on it and, and not necessarily to say like, you're a fucking idiot, but to say like, Hey, I think you're on the wrong side of this for this reason. Certainly with the last red hair record, that was, was a very, the whole record is one of the more political things I've been involved. Perhaps it's been obfuscated enough to be music or whatever, but ultimately everything in it, the cover, the lyrics, everything is all very much get on the right side of the shit because you're not, or recognize that this is the time to like choose a side, but, but hopefully choose the good side. You know what I mean? I think I, I know exactly what you mean. To me, one of the more challenging or complex aspects of this this topic we're on right now is how to contextualize personal histories, because personal evolution, growth, it's a beautiful thing. You know, yeah. it's a good thing. It's something to encourage, and you don't want to discourage it by way of genealogy or by way of of personal archaeology. You know, we go back and we find dumb, ignorant, youthful behavior. And use it to discourage people who are of a very constructive, very productive mindset now. And that's a complicated thing to me. It's alarming when when you realize people aren't making those revisions and they aren't making those course corrections. And sure. and, and and to realize that they're that they're uh, it's it's kind of I'm on, at times I'm befuddled by like like how can you how can you how could you have arrived at that position like. How can you, knowing who you were or knowing who I had projected thinking you were, how, how are you here? And was I just wrong this whole time? And we were just kind of like moving along and not talking about shit. Uh, it's, it's, it, and it's also very, it's also uplifting when you find out that not everybody's that way, you know? And like, there are usually people that are, people that are bothering or people, people that are sort of on to me on the wrong side of stuff. Um, sound the loudest and and so it's, it's always really a relief to know that they're not in, and that there are tons of people who i did gauge correctly and are now currently on this on on you know and i hate to say that sides but it is to, that, that 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 seem to have a, the the right view of what's going on dude it very clearly is sides i, I think there's a counterproductive naivete, naivete and pretending it's not i mean it's just this the country is divided for a reason. There's, there's a, to me, there's a, a hard, clearly visible current of toxicity that 
I'm not, I'm not cool with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in quite the opposite vein, you and I were talking before we rolled tape about, uh, Togo run, which yes. is, which is, I know, which is your job. And I get, this okay. Is my oh, well, let me drag it right past the markers. Um, yeah. but, uh, I know that you said there's a little bit of an evolution at that company, but you described kind of what you do now in some of the videos you've made and the nature of the company in present tense, which I think would be interesting and maybe exciting for people. I work at a PR firm called Togo Run and I've been there for about six years. My drummer, again, my drummer, my friend Joe uh, brought me in and um, it's great working with him. And um, this company had been focused on uh, health and well-being, you know, health and wellness. Uh, and, you know, for years we had a corporate overlord, uh, you know, owner. Um you know, to, to keep up the bills, you sort of had to work with people that maybe I wasn't super psyched about, you know, like these, you know, selling pharma's drugs and whatever else. But, uh, but we always tried to balance it out as best we could with, with, you know, work that we felt a little closer to my boss actually had the chance to buy the company, to get the company. And since then she's sort of done what she's always wanted to do, what she couldn't do, which is to, um, to really focus on that, that, responsibility that you have as a company, you know, and, and teach that responsibility to our clients and, and, and approach for the, you know, with them approach their business. Yes. They want to do well. They want to be a company that does well. And they hired a PR firm to do that, but also to let them sort of know that like you can do well, but you can also make sure that you are doing good and that you're, that you're doing something that, that benefits more than just your bottom line. And, uh, and thankfully, I feel like a lot more corporations, we were talking that sort of thing, like what side are you on? Like people are starting to recognize that, yeah, there's 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 more that's owed than just taking. So we do a lot of pro bono work, which is just where you, you know, you there's organizations, one in particular called Mission Plasticos, which is like, it's, it's an organization that takes all the plastic surgeons that are all around Los Angeles. And like we were talking before, there's tons of them, but, but they're also you know, they want to give back, they want to do something. So they're sent out across the world to help different people in, you know, for instance, in Nepal, there's people that, that are getting really severe burns just from their fires, their cooking fires, their it heats the home. It's these are very impoverished places that, that are very um, lacking in under-resourced for, for healthcare. And so they will send out on these missions, go out for a week and just try to do as many operations as they possibly can. People that have these burn contractures where like they got burned a year ago and their skin just now they can't move their arms. They go in and they have the skills and they donate their times and every their time and everything to uh to help all these people in these uh, that those are the kind of people that we're getting involved with now to sort of bolster and balance out these more sort of lucrative approaches to stuff. And and it's, it's become sort of, you know, a key part of, of the mission of what we do is making sure that we're not helping people make money, that we're actually trying to also help people. Well, I saw some of the video, I saw some of the videos that you've done and it struck me that to be able to employ or one's creative abilities and combine them with one's own social values and pay the bills with it is a truly envious position. I was, I, I was, I was, well, I run a sports bar and I bordering on being a 54 year old bouncer. So I look at it. It didn't, I don't feel like it started that way. I feel like it's something that, that we have grown to become, 
you know, like, like, and, and I think that honestly, a fuck of a lot of it is, is some of that same stuff we were talking about where it's just like, you get to this point where you got this, you know, leader of the, as it was a few years ago, just like, are you fucking kidding me? And, and the, the, the regressions and the, and the, the aggressions and regressions that were happening and, and that are still happening, that are still insane. You know, and, and you, you just realize you've got to step up and, and, and be very clear and very vocal about what you think is important, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I do. And, uh, and, and that's, and, to, and a lot of companies are doing that and that's, and that's great. And, and the fact that they get backlash, the fact that like, you know, Texas has boycotted this company or like, like fucking whatever, man, you know, like mm-hmm. it's hard not to be disgusted by, by some of us just want to do something about it, want to make sure, you know, that you're putting the checks in the right columns and, well, and, and making sure that things are moving in the direction that you think they have to go. The thing that fucking sucks is to know that everybody who I feel is in the wrong column feels just as bad about me and they're, they're trying to be just as vocal. And it's just like, I hate that this ultimately turning into a screaming match, but it's, it's, uh, I just, I, I get sick of getting shouted down or hearing people get shouted down you know, because someone's louder, they win. It's just like, well, look, can't someone just be right, you know, or can't someone be at least have their heart in the right place? You know, I think think there's this instinctive want to believe that morals and conscience are obvious and instinctive rather than levied by logic, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I want to tell you something um, as I eye the exit on this that I'm hoping you'll think is nice to hear which is, uh, you know, I got to interview Kevin Seconds, who I know well and I've known for a long time. I got to interview uh, Pete Gramiak, who I've known tangentially. And I got to meet a lot of nice people over the last year doing this. You and I have never really had an at-length conversation. We've been in the same space a few times. This was a pleasure. And it was a pleasure doing the research on it and seeing the intersection between creativity and conscience. So I want to thank you for exactly what you brought to it. Oh, fuck. thanks for having me, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, is, so- it, is, it is strange to, to think that like, like there's, you know, I think this happens a lot and, in, in, you know, you, you sort of, you put pins in all these people that you kind of know, or that, you know, or that, that you're like, Oh yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. But you don't, you, I mean, we never hung out, but like, you know, it's Correct. like, yeah. it's, there's this web of, of people that, that you consider acquaintances, peers, uh, just like minds or whatever it is. And even if you've never got to that point where like, we've never been in the same room together, there's still sort of this shared history that, that informs the fact that we can fucking hold a conversation. Exactly. <laughs> you know? No, exactly. So Jason Farrell, let's do it again sometime. All right. All right. All right. Cool. Well, everybody, that is episode 37 with Jason Farrell. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. 
So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.